Welcome to the Great American Collectibles Show, heard Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on PSA.com and the PSA Facebook page. The Great American Collectibles Show is brought to you by PSA, the National Sports Collectors Convention, and Sports Collectors Daily. Tonight's headlines are brought to you by Sports Collectors Daily. For all of your hobby news, features, and more, visit sportscollectorsdaily.com. And now, your host, Tom Zappala. Tom Zappala's solo, Tom Zappala. Petroselli's in another freaking golf tournament. He's, he's just unbelievable. Is he that good at it? He sucks. <laughs> no, he's not bad. Rico, Rico uh, for his age, uh, he, he, he shoots in the high 80s. He's a pretty good golfer. Nice. Mallory, I don't know where the hell he is. No, he's at some kind of a, I don't know, some kind of a conference. But anyway, welcome to the Great American Collectible Show. Tom Zappler going solo, but not really going solo. I am really, really psyched because uh, I have two very dear friends uh, co-hosting today with me. Uh, one you're going to see in a few minutes. He's taking a nap at his age. He's napping. Napping. Uh, uh-huh. Joe Orlando, Executive Vice President of Heritage Auctions is going to be joining me for the whole hour. We're going to bring in, in about 30 seconds, another good friend, Scotty Russell from the Collector Connection. Scott's got a great auction going on. And then as soon as Scott leaves, we're going to bring in Mr. Batman himself, John Tarby from JT Sports. Joseph, how are you, number one? Doing great, doing great. You look good. Nice uh, nice room you're in there, back there. Very nice, very colorful. <laughs> Love the memorabilia. <laughs> hiding in my name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's bring Scott, uh, Scotty Russell from the Collector Connection. Scott, how are you, my friend? I'm great. How are you, Tom? Good. Scott, I was on your site. Uh, your auction is off to a really great start. Uh, are you happy with the with the results thus far? Yeah, I mean, normally we don't, you know, those first kind of four days we call live preview because we're still, you know, fixing things, typos, images, whatever. So the auction really only started Sunday, so we're off to a real rousing start. Now, when does the auction end? On June 4th. June 4th, so you've got so, a ways to go, too. And Joe, jump in here uh, at any stage. You know, I'm going to ask both of you guys a question. Joe at Heritage Auctions, obviously, big, big auction house. Scott, a smaller auction house. Is there always a lull period? I kind of noticed there's always a lull period when, when an auction starts – Boom, everybody's bidding on it. And then there's a period in time where a price can stay actually stagnant for eight, nine days, a week. And then the last couple of days, it explodes again. Is that normally the case? I mean, I can't speak for Joe. I know our auction will do probably 50% of the auction will take place in the last four days. Joe? Yeah, I, I think what I think you were what you're referring to, Tom, is like there's there's this initial rush to sort of get qualifying bids in. And of course, every auction house has a different system in terms of, you know, do they do extended bidding? Do they not? But to get those qualifying bids in, you you definitely see a, a rush near the beginning to kind of go through the auction, get in those early qualifying bids. And then there's there's a there's a period where it's sort of it. it uh, there's some deeper thought, some deeper analysis. So there could be a little bit of a lull. And then, as Scott mentioned, there's tremendous activity in that home stretch. So you do see a little bit of both. Yeah, that's. that's I find it really interesting, Scott. You got a 33 Gaudi Ruth. That's uh, at the top of the heap right now. Uh, that's a cool well, card, a, man. A Canadian Gaudi too. The I know. I know. That's a. Yeah. It's and uh, look at look at the grade on it. How's the card yeah, doing? A, it's a, it's a beautiful card. card. Beautiful card. How's it doing? There's only, there's only 10 7s and only four higher on the combined PSA and SGC report. Wow. And the card is doing the most special card right up there with the Rose postcard Cy Young that we actually discovered a couple of years ago that you saw. At the I remember that. I saw it at the National. That was a great card. Is this card holding its own? Are you happy with the results uh, at this stage? Yeah, for, for where we're at now, yeah. I mean, there's 30 different bidders on it, which is really kind of the important thing right now because. Like Joe said, every auction is different. With us, you have to have a bid on the specific item to be able to bid on it in extended bidding. So right now, we're more interested in collecting bidders than where the dollar value is at because that will give us more people to compete later on. That's a good point. That's a good philosophy. Um, you know, I, I noticed also – I'm a big uh, – Maddie fan, and you got a T206 Maddie that is not going to break the budget. 
Uh, how's right. that card doing? That's a great card. I, I, that's one of my, you know, if, if I had to pick two, my two favorite T206 cards are the Johnson Portrait and the Mad, either one of the Maddies. Um, how's that card doing? It's doing well, you know. I mean, that's sort of more our bread and butter, that kind of, you know, the T206 Hall of Famers one through three kind of range where, you know, you're not breaking the budget to get it. Um, yeah, we do occasionally get the 52 Mantle or like this Ruth or the Rose postcards. But yeah, we're definitely known for the, you know, the 500 to $1,000 cards that, you know, even if you're on a tight budget, you can save up or sell something and, and go after what you want. You know, we've talked so, about this before uh, with you and with others. Uh, obviously, heritage is in a totally different category than, than uh, the collector connection. But point being is that uh, there is a real niche you know, there's there's a real market for your collectors also. I mean, not everybody, and Joe, we've talked about this, not everybody can afford a half a million dollar card, you know, right. uh, or a $25,000 card, but a lot of people can afford that six, seven, eight hundred dollar card. And so it's a great, it, it, you know, you got, it's a good balance to the whole hobby between both, between both companies. Would you agree, Joe? Yeah. I mean, and, and also, I mean, you pointed something out. I mean, it used to be referred to as sort of collector grade, which is, you know, yeah. uh, whether you like it or not. But here's the thing. It's like if you look over the past three, five, seven years, there's been a real escalation in those lower to mid grades, especially where I appeal is exceptional. Um, people are starting to say, look, OK, I can't afford a, a seven, eight, nine of this particular card in vintage. But if you find a three that is absent, you know, whatever, a crease going right through the player's face or, you know, very distracting print or staining. It just has, let's say, touched rounded corners, but it's got a really nice picture. Those types of cards have really performed well the last several years, and, and collectors have, have sort of grown to appreciate those grades. Again, where I appeal is exceptional. Scotty, why don't you yeah. uh, run, run a couple of other items by us? Uh, that well, you... kind of online with what Joe was saying, we have a couple of really tough E90-1s with low grades, but gorgeous appeal. Yeah, that is a nice looking card. They were taped. Yep. But, I mean, the, the front of that is a four all day, and we'll see much better than a, what you'd think of as a one price. And then another short print, Cy Young on Cleveland. And again, same deal. Not quite as nice and centered as the Wagner, but there's your issue. Right, 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 right. So yeah, I mean, you know, there's you know, there's guys who can't afford, you know, first of all, you know, these cards and fives are hen's teeth. You know, they're impossible to find. So if you can get a, a striking one that looks good, you know, in the way that most people look at cards. There's a big market for it. You've got a 26 root W12. Yeah. A WS12. I'm sorry. Uh, that's a cool I card. Know, yeah. That's that's a cool card. That's a very, very yeah, nice you know, card. Funny, you know, the, the strip cards, they've definitely gained in the last, I don't know, five years or so. They used to be, you know, the redheaded stepchild. Right, right. Article. And now people, it's it's been a way to turn to get your good Ruth or your good Cobb because you can't afford a T206 or a 33 Gaudi. And you've got some T205s, which is always a, that's that's a tough cut. It's a great, that's great, it really is. That's a great, it's a great set. Uh, tough to get those in a high grade because of the chipping, but uh, you got quite a yeah. few, right? Yeah, yeah. And we actually have a really nice eye appeal one and a half Cobb in that set. Very nice. I don't have that on my desk, so I can't show it to you. But. All right, so when does the auction end? It ends on Sunday, June 4th. Extended bidding starts at 10 p.m. We're usually out by midnight. We don't run all hours of the morning. So, And uh, the website address is very easy. TheCollectorConnection.com. All right, listen, uh, wishing you the best. It's a great auction to our viewers and listeners. You know, uh, this is a perfect auction uh, that won't break the bank. Won't break your yep. personal bank. All right, Scott, we appreciate it. See you down the road. Take care. Yep. Scotty Russell Here. from the Collector Connection. Joe, there is such a, uh, a market for, uh, you know, the, the budget-minded collector, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, Scott just brought up two perfect examples uh, with the, where it had a little bit, it had the damage on the back, but the front, the, the eye appeal far exceeded the technical grade on the front. So, those are great opportunities for someone who can't afford, as Scott mentioned, a much higher grade, but they look great at arm's length. So uh, there's no doubt that that part of the market um, has really changed in the last several years. 
Okay, let's bring in our other co-host. <laughs> Just, you know, he's a Yankee fan, but that's okay. Uh, the, the, the foremost expert on the bat world, Mr. John Tarby from JT Sports. How are you, John? Tom, good to see you. You know Mr. Orlando, I think. I've met him on occasion. <laughs> hey, listen, I, you oh, know, yeah. I wanted to hold off on the headline until we brought John in. Because uh, I want to get your take. Because, you, well, uh, you know, just let's put it this way from the periphery. All right, I'm going to qualify it. PWCC Marketplace sold to Fanatics. Fanatics Collectibles, which pledged to enter the auction space when it acquired the future rights to baseball, football, and basketball trading cards in early 2022, did just that as the week began, announcing the purchase of Oregon-based PWCC Marketplace. Terms of the deal were not disclosed. Fanatics and PWCC informed employees of the sale on Monday. Supposedly, it's a strategic long-term decision for the business that will allow us to further enhance and support the broader collector, collector ecosystem, a Fanatics spokesman told Sports Collectors Daily. I'm not going to read the whole story. Uh, if you want to get all of the information, you can go to sportscollectorsdaily.com. Guys, without getting into specifics, I mean, the market is definitely changing on a daily basis. John, true or false? Well, definitely. Uh, am I surprised? Not really. You know, uh, Fanatics has, you know, established uh, such a large footprint in the industry. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm waiting for them to knock on my door. <laughs> you well, know. No, Orlando, uh, Orlando's going to buy you out. Right. But, uh, you know, and I heard you alluded they're going to enter the auction space. Really? I did not hear that. Joe, well, that, it, you, you were reading earlier. Oh, 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 yes, yes, yes. Eventually. Yeah. I thought you meant now. Yeah. yeah, eventually they do want to do that. Absolutely. Joe? Well, you know, the way I look at, at uh, this, you know, uh, announcement and some of the other announcements around Fanatics is, look, Fanatics has incredible global reach. And if they're able to expand the pie, if they're able to reach more collectors, bring introduce more people to the hobby, then I think that's a good thing for, for John's business, heritage, you know, collectors. I think it's good for everybody. So I, I, I tend to look at it as a positive that, look, they're, they're spending a lot of money on infrastructure. They're spending, they're trying to, to build their business. And if they expand the, the market, then everyone inside of that market who's doing a, a good job at what they do is going to benefit from it. Interesting. All right, let's talk. Uh, we're going to be a little bit all over the place today. First of all, uh, I want our viewers, uh, we're going to be talking a lot about the hobby. We're going to be talking about a lot about bats, game used bats, store-bought bats. These are, Literally, these two gentlemen, along with Vince Malter, are three of the I mean, the experts in, in, in the business, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, this book was written by Joe, uh, I don't know, several years ago. Ellen and I helped Joe, but we only, this book was written by Joe. Uh, we were just there to kind of support him and uh, put our name in the front of the book. Uh, and John Tarby and uh, Vince Malta made tremendous contributions to this, and John Mallory helped us also. Uh, the name of the book is Legendary Lumber, the Top 100 Player Bats in Baseball History. This book won a Ben Franklin gold medal, as well as an Independent Publishers Association silver medal. Uh, we were very, very proud of this publication. Uh, of all the books that we wrote, this book got the highest awards. So, number one, by the way, if you want to buy it, feel free to go to TomZappleMedia.com. Uh, you know, uh, we have a few uh, that you can buy. TomZappleMedia.com, you can purchase the book. It is a great book. And a lot of the information uh, that we're going to, a lot of the uh, uh, tidbits that we're going to talk about today came out of here. First question I'm going to ask both of you guys. Do quality game use bats, how do they match up to quality game use jerseys or uh, 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 game use signed baseballs. Are they all on the same level? John, we'll start with you. Well, I think, you know, when, when you're taking a game use bat and we're, let's, let's take a Ted Williams, for example. Um, 
and you're, you know, you're comparing dollars to donuts, the autograph baseballs are not going to approach anywhere near the value of a game used bat, a quality game used bat. And I guess in this case, we're talking about something that is going to grade nine or better. And then when you get into the, uh, to the uh, uniforms, they tend to be uh, much more rarer than uh, the game used bats. So if you're looking at, you know, at a scale of value and price, I think if you take an early uh, Ted Williams flannel from the 40s, opposed to a game used bat from the same period of time, you're going to have a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, uh, price uh, value with with the bat over a jersey. They're going to be much more expensive. Joe? Yeah, I mean, what I would say is this, is that, you know, I think the the, the ultra high-end bat market has followed really all of the other markets, you know, in terms of you know, jerseys, cards, in terms of the best of the best pulling away from everything else. But, you know, one sort of segue here, if, if I may, you know, something that John and I have talked about quite a bit over the past few years is that while the really upper echelon bats have, have accelerated, I mean, they're, they're selling for multiples of where they were just a few years ago. There seems to be an opportunity on bats that are, when I say lower graded, I don't mean low, low grade, like, like we were talking about with cards. I'm talking about bats that might grade seven, eight, eight and a half. Maybe John can kind of, you know, we've talked about it before. Maybe John can comment on that. The kind of this opportunity on bats that, aren't the the nines and tens that have you know incredible provenance or eye appeal but but the ones that are just a a level or two below john yeah i you know you know as joe said you know we've discussed this at length and you know i think what a lot of collectors miss the focus has become so uh, ingrained with grade and now photo matched i mean uh, and these are you know uh, as far as authenticity is concerned, it's, you know, it's photo match bat is the epitome of, you know, uh, authentication. But when you're looking at a, at a grade seven or a grade eight, seven, five, eight, five in that area, there is nothing adverse you can say about the bat. You're talking about a bat that is player used, game used, and really it comes down to the amount of use that is on the bat. So, and that's generally where the grade is going to look. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, John. I mean, a lot of us know how cards are graded, what they look for. And you, you are the foremost authority on grading bats. What do you look for in a, in a bat, a game-used bat? What is, tell me the difference between a bat that, that uh, grades out at a 3 or a 4 versus a, a bat that grades out at a 7 or, or 8. What's the difference? Well, you're looking, well, first of all, you know, when you're authenticating a major league bat, you know, the actual process of placing it, you know, as, as a pro bat is fairly simple with the reference that we have of the Louisville slugger records. I mean, it's a matter of looking it up, looking the model up, the year, the length, the weight, et cetera. But what we look for, first of all, is the condition of the bat when it comes in. Is it cracked? Is it severely cracked? Does the length and the weight, does it match up with the player records? And then more, most important, what you're looking for is player characteristics. Um, I, I guess somebody that we can all relate to, you know, collectors with bats and even just sports fans, George Brett, think about his pine tar bat. So you're looking for uh, during his career, if you look at pictures of Brett, he goes through stages if you will, of the amount of pine tar he uses. In the mid-70s, it's fairly moderate, you know, light to moderate up on the mid-handle. As you move into the 80s, uh, he starts to increase the application to the mid-handle, and then you see some on the lower handle also with a gap in between. Um, and it's funny because when you look today at the pine tar bat, there's not a lot of pine tar on it compared to the bats he uses later in his career, which, you know, they are absolutely, quote unquote, I don't want to say disgusting. They're beautiful. <laughs> but they, <laughs> some people, I've had collectors return really to me because they have too much use. 
<laughs> That's amazing. Okay. It okay. is amazing. God. It is amazing. But a prime, you know, George Brett Bats from later in his career looks like they've been dipped in pine sauces. <laughs> we are chatting with John Tarby and Joe Orlando. Uh, JT Sports and Heritage Auctions. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. We're going to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the memorabilia world. Hang in there. We'll be right back. Since 1996, Brian Drent and the staff at Denver's Mile High Card Company have led the charge in the collectibles hobby. Mile High is a full-service dealer specializing in buying and selling cards and offers a competitive consignment program for all collectors. Whether it be their computerized want list service, appraisals, or auction services, Mile High has it all. If you've been searching for a company with a selection of high-grade vintage 1888 to 1970 baseball cards and memorabilia that shares your passion, aim high, Mile High. Go to milehighcardco.com or call 303-840-2784 for more information. This is Brian Drent, president of Mile High Card Company. Is your sports card and memorabilia collection properly insured? For easily replaced personal property, homeowner's insurance is all most people need. But for prized possessions that you may have spent a lifetime collecting, it doesn't go nearly far enough. Collectibles Insurance Services has been insuring for over 50 years. They offer a full range of protection and a $0 deductible at an affordable rate with no appraisals required. I know because they insure my collection. If you have a minute, go to collectinsure.com and learn more about insuring your personal card or memorabilia collection. Hi, this is Dan from Memory Lane Auctions here to remind you that the renowned Memory Lane Collectibles Company has served as a beacon of light to the collecting community for the past several decades. Indeed, folks, it has been our utmost privilege and pleasure to provide the most enthusiastic collectors with an abundance of the finest sports cards and memorabilia for America's most coveted sports personalities via our world-class auctions. Whether you choose either a private sale transaction or the auction route, Memory Lane cordially invites you to reach out to us to maximize the value of your prized possessions. Also, it is not just sales that we pride ourselves on being the best of the rest, because if you are seeking a particular keepsake for your esteemed gathering, we will be relentless in our quest to find that special piece to fulfill your collecting dreams. So no time to wait. Reach out to us today for the purposes of capitalizing on our unparalleled marketing capabilities. Simply pick up the phone and dial 877-606-5263. That's 877-606-LANE. Or find us on the World Wide Web at www.memorylaneinc.com. Now is the time for your valued consignment to ultimately become another one of Memory Lane's record-setting prices. How would you like to own the bat that was used by your favorite player when he hit that towering home run or game-winning base hit? Now look no further than JT Sports, specializing in the sale and authentication of professional game-used bats. As the official authenticators of professional model game used bats for PSA DNA, JT Sports will guarantee the authenticity of any bat purchased from them. JT Sports also buys and sells game-worn uniforms, gloves, and baseball equipment. The unique quality of the collectible is what JT Sports is all about. Give them a call at 609-487-8003 or check them out at GameUseBats.com. Okay, we are back, and we are chatting with two of the good guys in the hobby, Joe Orlando, Executive Vice President. Joe, that kind of rolls off my tongue, Executive Vice President. You're not even the Executive Vice President of your house. Your wife no. is. <laughs> Heritage Auctions. <laughs> and jo I, I, in my own household, I'm, I'm right behind my second French bulldog, somewhere <laughs> in there. And John Tarby, uh, President and Founder of JT Sports. Hey, listen, uh, by the way, and not to tell, and we don't do this often, I swear we don't, but, you know, we just got word that our book that we released last summer at the National, the Diamondbacks Collection, 50 of the Greatest Cards in Sports Collecting History. This is the book that uh, Ellen and I wrote along with John Mallory and Joe uh, was a big contributor uh, on Ken Kendrick's uh, collection. Uh, we won two more awards. We won, again, we won the... Ben Franklin Silver Award, silver, whatever you call it, silver medal, and the Ippy Bronze Medal. So 
you know something, we're on a roll, but guess what? That's our last book. You can make book on that. All right, let's get back to both John and Joe. Question, Joe. Um, I want to talk about, and John, you can put your two cents in here. Memorabilia, is memorabilia surpassing card collecting as the go-to for hobbyists, or are they still running neck and neck? It seems, it could be my imagination, but it seems though a lot of collectors are gravitating towards memorabilia also. Joe, you first? Yeah, I, I think memorabilia, especially game used, jerseys, bats, it's it's closing the gap. And I think that's a, in part because of greater information today. As John mentioned, things like photo matching. There's more information about collecting those things than there ever has been before. So I think that's helped. But I still think, I mean there's still a ways to go. I mean, when you, when you think about, and I've collected just about everything in my Mm -hmm. life. Um, When you think about cards and then you think about uh, terrific, like, look, we last summer heritage sold the, the, you know, 9.5 mantle for over $12 million. Right. When you think about it, as cool as that item is, you could buy the best Mickey Mantle jersey, the best Mickey Mantle bat, the me- the best Mickey Mantle glove, and by the way, have millions of dollars left over. Yeah, good so point. There's still a ways to go in terms of information, I think, and comfort on the collector's part, but it's absolutely closing the gap. So I, I think it's moving in the right direction for sure. John? No, I'm, I'm just going to echo Joe. Uh, you know, over the years, we have seen finally, you know, we are closing that gap. But the, uh, you know, the card market uh, is always going to be the driver, you know, in my opinion, you know, to to the hobby itself. Uh, the and what the the onset of many of the photo matching services and the uh, the image companies online, uh, what they're doing, they've really we've really expanded the base of collectors and the number of collectors that have come into the market. Um, the, you know, all of these vehicles really establish a confidence level in the item, in memorabilia, in game used jerseys with game used bats that we didn't have before. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, as time goes on, you know, I expect that uh, trend to, uh, to stay the same and increase. Uh, you know, taking uh, Orlando's bat uh, display in the back there and, tossing it out the window. John, what is the best what is the best way for a collector to display a bat? Can you give them some tips? Because people have asked me that and, and I, I honest to God they have and I said I have no freaking clue. So uh, what is the best way to display a bat in your man cave in an office? The best way to display a bat is what however it gives you the most pleasure. Yeah but I mean keeping it like should you keep it out of the light, for instance? Uh, well, well, what I've done, you, you know, my let's take what you know uh, the bats that I've collected. <clears throat> I will, you know, the only time you really have to worry about light with a baseball bat is if there's an autograph on it. And there tends to be, you know, the older versions of blue sharpie they will fade, you know, black sharpie will not. But uh, an efficient way to do it, and, and I get a lot of pleasure out of it, is I just use a dowel system where I hang the bats just like you see uh, Joe's yeah. collection right there. Collection. <laughs> okay. I one bat over there. <laughs> a single bat. But it allows you to see the bat, take the bat off the dowel, you know, handle it, and, you know, everybody wants to take a swing. Um, and, uh, you know, that's – that's uh, or – some of the bat cases are very attractive too, where you have a, uh, multiple bats within a case or a single bat within a case. Um, and the, you know, there's a, a couple of ideas that you know that I've used that, yeah. that I think are popular. You know, uh, it it seems as though today bats are made out of many different species of wood. Um, is there any species of wood today that? Uh, surpasses the others, whether it be ash or or, or, or or oak or whatever. You want me to grab that? Yeah, jump. On. Well, you can both. You can both well, jump on it. Well, right now it's maple. Okay. You know, maple, and uh, I'm starting to see a lot of birch 
bats. Really? Uh, yeah, birch. I mean, birch is not really that, it's not that dense, is it, as opposed to ash well, or, or maple? You know what it is, Tom? You know, anymore today, whether it's a maple bat, an ash bat, a birch bat, you know, whatever the case may be, the finishing processes yeah. that these manufacturers are using, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's sometimes you, you know, you take a player like, uh, use Aaron Judge as, you know, as a perfect example. You get his bats and, you know, in, you know, 20 years ago, if he's using an ash bat, the way he swings, I mean, the stitch impressions in the wood would be uh, an eighth of an inch deep. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, by the you, way, you can yeah. you can also use Raphael Devers uh, as an example. Just thought yes, I'd throw uh, that out there. <laughs> Raphael Devers, sure. But you can look at the bats of these players today, and you may see a stitch mark. You wow. may see it, but it is actually not embedded into the surface of the barrel. It's sitting on the finish. Interesting. And uh, I mean, you know, it's look. It's the game has progressed. To launch angle, exit velocity, maple, and these finishes all add to that. Wow. Joe, I mean, is there anything that he's saying that you disagree with? <laughs> no, no. I mean, all I would say, just a couple of things like, you know, um, and John knows more about this than anyone. I mean, when you look at some of the old mantle bats, okay, you know, the ash bats that he used and the, that are just pounded. You put them in the light, you could run your finger and it, it, it looks like, you know, it rolling hills because the bat to John's point, they're so deeply embedded. The right. stitch that the surface now is completely uneven. And now with the maple bats, you know, they I tell you the one thing with the maple bats is this when they break, they break <laughs> like they they really break, you know, you know, on the maple bats. But they're definitely in terms of just durability, uh, just a completely different animal than kind of the traditional ash bats of the past. All right, so now I'm going to ask you guys a question. Let's go down Let's go down to the lower levels. Uh, Little League, Babe Ruth, uh, aluminum bats. What are your thoughts on those? John, what are your thoughts on aluminum bats, kids using aluminum bats, honestly? Well, when you're at the Little League level. Hold on. And I, I take the cost. Well, okay, go ahead. I, I, want to, I want to hear what you have to say. Well, the cost level, you know, they are very expensive. But also they don't they don't break. So but the one thing about at the little league level and maybe as you're getting into the Babe Ruth level, and if we're talking about Babe Ruth League at twelve years old and yeah. thirteen years old, all right, my concern is the safety factor. You know, even you know, because I don't agree at the college level, uh, you know, that their use of, you know, aluminum bats. Right. I think, you know, what that bat the way they're developing players today everybody's in the weight room you know and there you talk about exit velocity you start to multiply it and it intensifies when you're using an aluminum bat um when you get down into the you know little league level farm level you know the kids aren't you know they're not taking these hefty cuts they're taking hefty cuts right. but they're not that strong and you know there's uh, you don't have the you know the danger involved in a in a comebacker to the mound where the pitcher doesn't have time to, uh, you know, to get out of the way. So is it more or less, before I, I, we get Joe's take, is it more or less at the Little League level uh, an economic thing for parents more than anything else? Joe? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would just echo what, what John said. I think it, it absolutely is. It's part safety and it's part economics at, at the lower levels. I mean, I will say this, you could take even some, you know, very skilled high school and college players. And I can tell you when you hand them a wood bat, when they've been swinging with an aluminum their entire life and you hand them a wood bat, it's a complete, it's so, it's so different. It, it's so hard to explain just how different it is, but with a wood bat, the sweet spot is so much smaller. You can get jammed. You can hit one off the end of the bat of aluminum, and it's still going to go. It's still going right. to carry to the outfield or, or, or go further. With a wood bat, if you don't get that barrel head out um, and hit it in the right location on the barrel, it's going nowhere. <laughs> so it's like when you see that transition, some guys who are just you know absolute all-stars in high school and even in college, when they try to make that transition to wood – 
for some of them, it, it just doesn't translate. It doesn't work out. And uh, for others, it does. But it's a it's not a small transition between aluminum and wood. Joe, you, you played college ball. Did you use uh, aluminum or wood when you played? Jeez, I mean, I'm not that old time. Well, I mean, I, you know, I know that was uh, back in the 50s. No, no, you, you guys you guys used aluminum, right, at that time when you played? Yes, and, and, and the aluminum bats, I would say, when, when I was in college, um, they were even, as John was pointing out earlier, they were more, what I would say, dangerous in terms of the what you could do with the aluminum bat. They've toned it down a bit over the past two decades um, in terms of the explosion off the bat. But yeah, there were some bats that were around when I was in college and, and shortly thereafter that, I mean, the ball went much, much further than than on the bats now and, of course, wood bats. And, John, when you were a fleet-footed shortstop, I believe. Uh, center field. Center field, okay. Uh, did you use wooden bats? Uh, they used wooden bats in my day. They yes, did? Yes, they did. Um, yeah, I used the Roberto Clemente model. Did you really? Very cool. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. You know, but, you know, just let me get back. Yeah, know, go back ahead. To the e economics of this. I mean, the aluminum bats now were several hundred dollars. Yeah. But drop back now to a maple bat. You go into a retail outlet and find a maple bat. They're now one hundred and fifty, one hundred and seventy dollars for a maple bat. Wow. OK, wow. I you know, it's uh, it's. You know, you scratch your head, you know, when you see some of the prices. Yeah. You know something else? It's really weird. I know this sounds childish, but I go to my, my grandson Johnny's uh, Little League games, and he's very funny, by the way. The kid is eight years old, but he's like gigantic, gigantic. Joe, Joe you've seen him. You've seen pictures of him. He is a moose. And they have him batting fourth. And he he's like he's like a mini Babe Ruth in this little league Right, he'll hit a home run, but it literally takes him 15 minutes to get around the bases. It's absolutely hysterical. He's hit home runs; he's got thrown out. I mean, it's really, really funny. But point being is, there's nothing, there's nothing enjoyable about the sound of a ball hitting an aluminum bat. It just doesn't sound right. Am I wrong, or is that silly for me to say? Don't answer think, too quickly. I, I, I think it's, look, the ping of the bat, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't have that sound to it. But you're right. No, I'd rather hear the crack. Right. The Joe, no question. am I wrong? No, I mean, that's part of the, it, it's just, it's part of the nostalgia. It's just part of the, the love of the game. I mean, there, there's something about that, that sound and that it's not, it's the sound and that echo. If you ever go for like batting practice early at exactly. a major league stadium, exactly. when the stadium's empty and it's quiet, you hear that, you know, that crack and then it kind of echoes. Absolutely. The you know, I, I was looking, I was looking through the book and uh, I, I don't know who did it. I don't know if you wrote a Joe or Mallory, uh, some of the great bat highlights in baseball history. Some of them were absolutely hysterical. Like the, uh, uh, <clears throat> What's his name? Uh, like the Piazza Clemens bat incident. Uh, when uh, you guys remember that, what are your thoughts on some of these? Like uh, Albert Bell, the Albert Albert Bell ceiling bat. Uh, you know, obviously the George Brett bat. Uh, there have been some great bat highlights through baseball history, John. I have to think, but you know, one of the classic moments. I, I remember I watched the game. When Greg Nettles' bat exploded and the little mini Super Bowls <laughs> came out of the barrel, okay, and it's remember when Sosa did the same thing, so, yes. the barrel cracked, and there's the core. <laughs> and Sammy goes, I, I don't know how it got there. I use it in batting practice, right? He's he's one of the biggest guys in the National League, and he's still using that. You know, it's uh, hysterical. Funny, but you know something. That's part of baseball. Oh, absolutely. Joe? You know, that's it's part of the game. Yeah. No, it's I, I agree with John. I mean, I, I my, the one that came to mind for me was, I don't know if you, were, you guys remember this, Chris Sabo. And the reason I remember that one is because when he broke his bat and there was the big cork and the umpire, you know, threw him out, the smirk on Sabo's face <laughs> from picking up the bat all the way to the – I mean, all he could do was laugh. He's like, you got me, but – 
But I think aside from those types of incidents, you know, there there's a story behind every bat, whether it's something kind of comical like that or, uh, you know, an important moment in the game or, or a historic moment. That's what makes, you know, bat collecting so cool. And something John said earlier, I just want to chime in on. He talked about you asked him about displaying bats and he, he mentioned about having access, you know, so you could pick it up and you could swing it. To me, that is what separates bats from all other game-used items, even jerseys. As rare as jerseys are and as awesome as they are, because I love jerseys too, I mean, there is something different about picking up Babe Ruth's bat or Shohei Otani's bat and putting it in your hands and taking a couple cuts than putting on a jersey. It's like, what am I going to do? Go trick-or-treating in Shohei Otani's jersey and run around the house? There's something different about putting it in your hands, and I think that that's what – it's part of what makes back collecting so fun. All right, we have a couple of minutes for this segment. I'm going to throw something out at you guys, and I don't want you to think it's blasphemous, but I want to get your honest opinion. Stan Musial, Stan the Man, playing in St. Louis. Mickey Mantle, playing in the big metropolis called New York City. Flip them, switch them. Stan's playing in New York for his career. Mantle's playing in St. Louis for his career. Do the values of those bats change, John? There's no question. I mean, first of all, if you put Mantle in St. Louis, you've immediately taken away all the World Series appearances. And that's, you know, that's what the Yankees were all about. You know, Mickey Mantle was Mickey Mantle really in the World Series. I mean, he was a great player, but he came through in the World Series, you know, and he Gosh, you know, off the top of my head, I think, you know, from 1951 through 1964, you know, he was in every World Series with the exception of what, two years? 1954 and 1959. So if Mantle is playing in those, uh, if, if Musial is playing in those World Series, does his bat, his bat skyrocket in value? I think if Stan Musial was a New York Yankee, I think he would probably be one of the most celebrated players today. Interesting. Yes. Joe? Yes. Uh, I mean, like John said, there, there's no question that team affiliation is a big part of market value and collecting demand because, yeah, I mean, you have Yankee diehards. And, and in addition to that, even if you're not a Yankee diehard, it's that Mantle played on the big stage so routinely that it just took him to another level. But But I will say this, in defense of it, I will say that Mantle is an example of someone that he did have a lot of other things going for him. I mean, Mantle was a much more, what I would say, explosive type player that even though Musial is incredible, he was a freak athlete. I mean, Mantle was, you know, one of a kind during, during his era. And he also, he had the name. He also had the personality, the sense of humor. So he did have other things too. But yeah, team affiliation is a is a big driver of market value. All right, we are chatting with John Tobby and Joe Orlando. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to be back in a minute with our last segment. Hang in there. We'll be right back. Pristine Auction is a family-owned and operated online auction specializing in autographed memorabilia, sports cards, coins, art, and collectibles. Since their founding in 2010, they've grown to two facilities in Phoenix, Arizona, totaling over 60,000 square feet. Jared Cavalier and an incredible staff of over 150 team members serve a very large customer base and enjoy every minute of it. By working with leading authentication companies, Pristine ensures all items are 100% authentic. In addition, third-party authenticators regularly travel to Pristine Auction to provide authentication services on-site. Pristine Auction strives to operate its business in a way that's honoring to God, their families, and their customers. With a strong focus on speed, quality, and premier customer service, their mission is to be the leading online auction for every level of collector and fan. Pristine also works for Hope Sports and Identity Hoops International, traveling to Mexico to build houses for the less fortunate. Pristine Auction offers several online auction formats with thousands of auctions ending each day. For more information, go to pristineauction.com. That's Pristine Auction, the best in the business. If you're a discerning collector interested in owning the most important pieces in the hobby, look no further than Leland's Auctions. 
the original sports auction and appraisal house, Leland's was established in 1985 by legendary pioneer founder Joshua Leland Evans. And today, President Mike Hefner carries on the tradition. From the Tom Brady card and memorabilia collection, to the famed Boston Garden auction, to high-end card auctions from every major sport, Leland's has always maintained the highest standards. Go to Leland's.com and get your bid in. That's Leland's, the hobby's leading sports auction house for four decades. It's often been said that championships are won on the practice field, and world records come only to those willing to work harder than everybody else. Heritage Auctions is the world's largest collectibles auctioneer because we believe that becoming the best is only an invitation to the challenge of remaining the best. This requires the skills of the hobby's top experts, capable of identifying and maximizing value for our consigners. It requires the most visited website in the industry, courting a global audience of collectors over a million and a half strong. It requires a dedicated press department that expands our global reach far beyond the entrenched hobby marketplace. It's hard work, but a simple premise. Present the finest collectibles to the largest population of potential buyers, and world records will come. We invite all listeners to put the unmatched power of Heritage Auctions to work for you. Auction evaluations are always free, and our commission-based fee structure ensures that our interests are always aligned highest possible price for your collectibles. There will always be new world records to chase, so let's chase them together. Visit our website at ha.com and request your no-obligation review today. Hi, this is Dan from Memory Lane Auctions, here to remind you that the renowned Memory Lane Collectibles Company has served as a beacon of light to the collecting community for the past several decades. Indeed, folks, it has been our utmost privilege and pleasure to provide the most enthusiastic collectors with an abundance of the finest sports cards and memorabilia for America's most coveted sports personalities via our world-class auctions. Whether you choose either a private sale transaction or the auction route, Memory Lane cordially invites you to reach out to us to maximize the value of your prized possessions. Also, it is not just sales that we pride ourselves on being the best of the rest, because if you are seeking a particular keepsake for your esteemed gathering, we will be relentless in our quest to find that special piece to fulfill your collecting dreams. So no time to wait. Reach out to us today for the purposes of capitalizing on our unparalleled marketing capabilities. Simply pick up the phone and dial 877-606-5263. That's 877-606-LANE. Or find us on the World Wide Web at www.memorylaneinc.com. Now is the time for your valued consignment to ultimately become another one of Memory Lane's record-setting prices. Okay, we are back. Before we get back to our guest, CSA Shows is proud to present the Chantilly Show being held from Friday, June 22nd to Sunday, June 24th. Held at the Dulles Expo Center in Chantilly, Virginia, just minutes from the Dulles International Airport. Celebrating over 27 years at the same location, there will be over 350 dealer tables exhibiting on over 100,000 square feet of space. With both vintage and sports cards and memorabilia, as well as modern-day sports treasures, you don't have to look very far for that special card, bat, ball, or autograph. Major auction houses and third-party grading companies will be on site to assist you with your collecting and authentication needs. Some of your favorite superstars will be on hand, including 2023 NFL first-round draft picks C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson, football greats Mean Joe Green, Randy Cunningham, Jerome the Bus Bettis, NBA legend Walt Clyde Frazier, and many, many more. For more information, go to that's go to chantillyshow.com or csashows.com. That's the Chantilly Show where you can find all of your sports collecting treasures. Okay, let's get back to Joe and John. Top 10 bats. Top 10 bats, boys. John, in, in, in order if you can do it. I mean, you're the expert. To put you on the spot. All right, all right. Let me let me let me run this by you guys. All right. And the only reason being, I'm going to get you both off the hook because I cheated. 
Well, uh, Tom, just open the book. That's Here, what that's I did. That's exactly. That's exactly what I did. And I, I, one through ten. But I. But you know something, John? I believe in the book. This, these were Orlando's choices. I'm not sure they were yours. So let let me run them by. Number one, Ruth. Agreed. Have to. Number two, Cobb. Yes. Number three, I don't agree with at all. Orlando, Williams. Ooh. That was yours, Joe. You made that. You're going to have to. Hey, Tom, if you let me Tom, why it. don't you agree? Uh, because I, I think there, there are a million Ted Williams bat out there. I would take a Lou Gehrig gamer any day over a Ted gamer. Am I allowed to defend myself? Absolutely. Go. So part of the criteria for me is in the realm of bats, because Ted Williams and Babe Ruth are literally interchangeable, like either – Ruth is the best hitter and Williams is two, or Williams is the best hitter and Ruth is two. You could, they're almost interchangeable statistically throughout their careers. To me, I put him up the ladder because of his prowess with the bat, and this is the symbol of hitting. So I put Williams. All right. I, 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 I certainly agree with you on the rarity point, but well, that's why I put him higher. All right. Go ahead, John. What were you going to say? There's no comparison between Ted Williams and Lou Gehrig. Ted Williams is an icon. Gehrig played in the shadow of Ruth. There's no question he was a great player. But when you look at Ted Williams and what he did in his career and how he did it and what he went through and what he sacrificed as part of that career, no one hit like Ted Williams. Well, you know what it is? I think I am, Joe, I think you hit it on the head. I think I'm looking at the rarity of the bat rather than the player himself. And you're you're making a good point, a very good point. Um, Jackie Robinson you have next You have Ted, after Ted you have Garrick And then Jackie You guys agree with that? <clears throat> yes yeah. I I could argue today Since we, you know, that book I, We wrote it together several years ago Because of the way the market has changed I could imagine flip-flopping those two Because Jack, all of Jackie collectibles Have escalated beyond any other uh, legendary player of the past. And so you could argue, you could even argue moving him up ahead of Williams because of the, again, the symbolic sort of value of Jackie Robinson period. All right. Interesting. From a, uh, from again, from a rarity standpoint, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you have Mickey Mantle next, but just following Mickey Mantle, you have Shoeless Joe Jackson. Um, should Mickey be ahead of Joe Jackson? I'll let John take it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Mickey should be ahead of Joe Jackson. Um, you know, and I'm just saying from from the collecting community, I mean, Shoeless Joe has a niche of collectors. You know, it's, it's a vintage bat. It's from, you know, arguably coming out of the dead ball era. The Black Sox scandal is a big appeal. But Mickey Mantle is magic. In the hobby, Mantle is magic. Interesting. Um, and they're... There are tremendous amount of collectors who remember Mickey, and there's also a tremendous amount of young collectors who are in awe of Mickey and the numbers that he put up. You know, after the Mick, uh, you have, uh, I mean, after Shoeless Joe, Joe, uh, you have Wagner, Fox, and Willie Mays. Um, I definitely, all those three should definitely be in the top ten. Any flip-flopping there? Jimmy Fox? What? I, I put again. Things change in the market. Yeah, I would. I would probably move Mays up today. Yeah. If I were doing the list today, I'd move Mays up a notch or two. I mean, Wagner was tossed in there um, largely due to rarity. Yeah. Um, and there are so few examples that are you know totally documented. And and again, John knows better than anybody here about that. I mean, so he's. You know, Wagner's there largely due to rarity, also because he was, a you know, still considered. He's still, you know, maybe the greatest shortstop of all time. But but uh, Mays, I think, as clearly the best five-tool position player ever, even though his bats are more common, I'd probably move him up a notch or two. Hey, John, can we sneak a Petroselli in the top 15? We can do anything. Absolutely. I had the bat right That's back right. here. That's right. You office. did. That's right. I forgot that. War Club. Yeah. I forgot big that. Bat. How, how many, how many, how big was that bat, John? Tell Joe. 38 inches. 
42 ounces, 43 ounces. <laughs> Rico, Rico actually used it in a game, yeah. Joe. He used it in a game. Unbelievable. He's <laughs> a strong guy. Yeah, real strong. Tom, can I make one point, you know, just to Absolutely. Are you kidding? Absolutely. We were talking about game-used bats and jerseys, okay? And just just remember one thing, and this is for the for collectors, and any game-used bat collector will attest to it. The bats are very, very, very personal to the player. When we talk about player characteristics, you're talking about players who bone bats, scored bats, a specific pine tar application, Ted Williams with olive oil and rosin, okay? He would boil his bats. You hear tales of Eddie Collins dipping his bats in dung in the offseason, okay? What do they do with the jersey? The jerseys are beautiful and they're rare, but they just take them off and throw them in the laundry pile. Yeah, good point. Very good. Very good point. Um, what about the modern bat market, John? Um, there's some superstars today. Um, is that market holding its own or is it exceeding vintage bats? I'm talking the Aaron Judges of the world, the Mike okay. Trouts of the world. The Well, the let me, you know, it's funny because the modern day bat market really adjusts with the player's performance. Mm. Okay. Right now, Shohei Hotani is, mm. you know, I mean, you can't touch a basic bat for less than $20,000. Wow. wow. Okay. That's a basic bat. Now you put in a photo matched home run bat. You're starting to go into multiples. Okay. It's, it's just the way it is. Acuna, all the players, you can go right down the list of players and, and you can throw Mike Trout, you know, who was arguably the best player in the game a few years ago. Now, because of a couple of seasons of injuries, people are starting to ask a few questions, et cetera, et cetera. The market fluctuates directly with the performance of the player. Interesting. We've got a few minutes left. I'm going to ask the both of you to answer this question. Joe, you first. Are you happy with the direction that the hobby is going in? Overall, yes, I do. In terms of, this is what I would say. When, when I look back for people of my sort of generation, for those who were there during the first hobby boom of the 80s, what's the, to me, what are the two biggest differences between the 80s, the first hobby boom, and where we are today? To me, it's access and information. Yep. It used to be, you know, I remember veteran collectors and dealers in the 80s and even into the 90s talking about how they would keep the, the information to themselves as leverage to try to buy things. Now we're all sharing information. There's more information available to the collector than ever before, and that makes people comfortable with spending money. I think that's a great thing. And then access. I mean, it's hard for a 25-year-old to imagine this today, but as a collector growing up, I mean, I was limited to the local baseball card shop, pretty much. There was right. some mail order going on then, but that was a risk. Like, did you want to trust that what you were going to get in the mail in some, you know, old magazine was going to, you know, what was going to you know, show up on your door was what you, you thought you bought. So access and information, I think, has made the hobby just so much more interesting and so much better today. today. We, we can buy virtually anything you know again based on budget but yeah. i mean in terms of stuff that you want to collect the the world is 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 available to you it's at your fingertips so i i love the those two things and the difference today versus when i was growing up as as a kid in the hobby john we got about two minutes no i i agree with joe 100 percent. you know and i'll add to that uh not trying to blow our own horn, but, you know, when you bring in outside authenticators, third-party authenticators have come into the mix that we just didn't have them in the 80s. Right. Good point. Um, and you're looking at, uh, you know, PSA is, is the forefront of the authentication uh, arm of the, uh, of the hobby. You know, with game-used bats and game-used jerseys, there's a confidence level now that people have when they're, you know, when you're going out, you're not spending three, four, five hundred dollars $500. I mean, in the 80s, First Mickey Mantle bat I bought, I paid thirteen hundred and ninety dollars for. Okay, and uh, you know today that same bat is you know over a hundred thousand dollars. Unbelievable. You know, right. and that's uh, you. You need to be confident. You need to be sure. Uh, you know of what you're buying. 
If you want a great read, this is a book that was written, as I mentioned, by Joe Orlando. Uh, Ellen and I just helped. Trust me, we just helped. And Mallory just, but Mallory did less than help. He was drinking martinis and writing. Uh, but the foreword was written by John and Vince Malta. This is a, everything you need to know about bats is in this book. You can go to tomzapplemedia.com. I think it's on sale. I don't know. I don't pay attention. But anyway, with that being said, guys, you guys, you bring so much to the hobby, both of you. You guys are both legends in the hobby. I know you hate to hear that, but you both are. Everybody looks at you two guys as two of the big go-to guys in, in, a, in an industry that is just massive. With that being said, Joe, thank you so much. I know you've got some huge heritage auctions coming up. Huge. And by the way, thank you for, uh, for taking on my, my little dinky card. And John, uh, we'll see you down the road. See you at the National, hopefully. See you at the National. Tom. All right, guys. With that being said to our viewers and listeners, thank you so much for the, uh, for the support. Uh, quite frankly, the numbers have been off the charts, and we're really, really thrilled. With that being said... Happy collecting. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.